Hey everybody, Tim here with Boozy Bracketology, and we are here to pick one of the most difficult brackets I think we've faced, and that is our best sci-fi or fantasy author. We have a lot of picks to get into, so we're just going to start by meeting the band of misfits who's going to make these decisions. First on our list, up in Raleigh, North Carolina, it's Jeff Woodhead. How you doing and what you drinking? I'm doing good, and you know, in in some of the research for this episode, uh, I, thanks to you, Tim, honestly, came across several recipes for a drink called the Pangalactic Gargle Blaster. Uh, I failed to have all of the ingredients for any of them, so I just kind of threw together my own version. It is largely defiant whiskey from uh out in the mountains of north carolina uh combined with a little bit of cointreau little fireball uh some lemon juice obviously it's not quite like getting your brains bashed out with a gold brick wrapped with a little bit of lemon it's close, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it's close. <laughs> I would say that sounds close delicious, enough. but I think I'll stick with uh, fun. Uh, next, we head down to Jacksonville, Florida, where Carmela is waiting. Carmela, how you doing? What you drinking? And tell us a little about yourself. I'm doing good. Uh, I have another can of this uh, Florida slush from uh, Swamphead Brewery in Gainesville. And I had it last time. It was very good. And I'm going to keep drinking it until I don't have it anymore. So here we go. That's the best way to enjoy beer. Yep. And and if you don't know me, uh, I, I'm the host of a couple podcasts. Uh, one which is Trivial Warfare, which is a pub trivia style podcast. I am also the host of Foreplay, which is a connection puzzle game that comes out every week and i am thrilled to be here and finishing out this side of the quad uh this side of the bracket we are thrilled to have you we can't do this without our friend in muscatine iowa brian nash how same questions to you i am doing fantastic uh tonight we are drinking rum and coke but the coke is still diet wild cherry pepsi I love that sound. Um, you can find me on Twitch at LK Jeremy. Uh, we stream Thursday nights, usually around 9.30 on Thursday nights, 9, uh, 9.30 Central Time, right after uh, we finish up with the hardest working woman in trivia. I love that eye roll. I am here for this. Uh <laughs> Right after Jay finishes up her stream, Jeremy and I jump in with Geek Trivia. Um, Jay, love you very much, dear. And I'm just going just gonna to move on from there. And we will meet that hardest working woman in trivia in just a minute. But before we get there, our good friend, Stephen. Stephen, how you doing and what you drinking? I'm doing quite well today. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and change up my drink, though. I'm leaving these United States for a delicious Guarana Antarctica, the Brazilian diet soda that I love so much. Let's pop this baby open here. I highly recommend it, despite the import fees. 
soda connoisseur when you drink one of these babies. Well, we are glad to have you here. And finally, the aforementioned hardest working woman in trivia in Chicago, Illinois, our close personal friend, Jay. Jay, how you doing? What you drinking? And tell us about yourself. Look, all I do is stream trivia five nights a week, run a local entertainment company that hosts live games and private events, uh, created the World Trivia Federation, uh, serial podcast, uh, boozy guest, uh, and and all around, I don't know, swell gal, like this hardest working. Why would you, Brian? Why would you? Um, but yeah, I'm Jay Borson with you know Entertainment. Uh, tonight, you know, let's get weird. I'm going to switch it up for the Captain Morgan Black Spiced Rum, which I will have you know uh, is 94.6 proof. So that's the episode you're in store for uh, tonight. And I'd be doing a lot better if my adorable new puppy, Louis Pauton, did not uh, try to run away about 10 minutes ago. He is incredibly clingy, except for when I need him to come back in the house because I'm recording a podcast episode. I'm learning. (laughs) Wants to play. (laughs) Oh, that's a good sound. Oh, we're going to have to double dip, I think. Look at this. There's only about three shots left in this bottle, so (laughs) hold on. Well, we've met the panel. I'll be your host for tonight. I am drinking my uh, self-proclaimed sugar-free lemonade, which is just water with a heavy, heavy, heavy dose of lemon juice. So let's dive right in. But first, some words of wisdom. Quote, I guess you could call it a failure, but I prefer the term learning experience. Said by Andy Weir in The Martian. Did our Fuck panel you. did our panel learn from last week? Wiser words have never been said. I thought he was gonna pick an at when Cody went the other way. <laughs> I picked that one. Jim is just trying for you, to Jay. take me off. I and that one in just so doing in trying to oh. tweak me, he is actually living up to the legacy of one of our uh, contestants here in this play-in game. Uh, it was said of Harlan Ellison that uh, he was the only living organism I know whose natural habitat is hot water. Because he is one of the most combative motherfuckers that has <laughs> ever been in the science fiction industry. <laughs> He's, he's written a lot of really interesting stuff, but he's most famous for just kind of being a dick to everybody, which is, you know, that's my job. I'm supposed to be a dick to everybody who picks Andy Weir over Margaret Atwood, all right? Harlan Ellison can just kind of be a dick to everybody for whatever reason, apparently. Uh, I don't know. Look, Suzanne Collins wrote The Hunger Games. I've heard of The Hunger Games. I don't know that I could name a Harlan Ellison story off the top of my head. So just on influence alone, look, if you're that much of a combative asshole like me, and you have produced nothing of value like me, I'm not sure you get to go on. So uh, my vote goes to Suzanne Collins, I suppose. (laughs) Well, thanks for letting me intro that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who's in the play-in game, Tim? <laughs> Our play-in game, as Jeff so eloquently introduced, is the 
Battle of the 16 Seeds, Suzanne Collins, who already has her first vote against Harlan Ellison, we move on to Carmella. Uh, so Harlan Ellison's written for Star Trek. Uh, he wrote, uh, I have no mouth and I must scream. So, I mean, he's written some stuff, but he is, he was, he, he passed away a few years ago. Uh, one of the most taciturn, combative people in literature. Um, Suzanne Collins did write... <laughs> did right hunger games i'm just still trying to get over the massive amount of salt i'm gonna have to drink some water because i'm so thirsty at this point so much salt um you know seeing how you know teenagers deal with war she's also written another series on how children deal with war um my 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 stepson that's his favorite suzanne collins series um, but I'm going to vote for Suzanne Collins here because uh, she's not super taciturn and has a better reputation than Harlan Ellison as a person. So. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne Collins with a 2 nothing lead. Brian, what do you got to say? Uh, Carmella was a lot nicer about it. Taciturn <laughs> really just means I'm a dick. Um, Harlan Ellison... Yeah, he wrote uh, City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, he had something called A Boy and His Dog. Uh, the Hunger Games, though, that that's that was that was that was pretty big. Uh, that that was pretty popular. Um, and regardless, it, it it's not too big a deal which one we pick based on who they have to go up against. But I'm going to go with the one that's not a complete dick. And I will go with Suzanne Collins as well. Brian casting his vote on the Wheaton's Law of Don't Be a Dick. Stephen, did we get this one right? I, I don't understand why people are saying that Harlan Ellison d- didn't do anything big. Uh, he was He's famous for getting fired by the Walt Disney Company after being there one day when he suggested they make an animated porno film. Nobody mentioned that. I mean, that's an accomplishment right there. Um, He also very famously managed to successfully sue James Cameron twice for the same thing when he stole his Terminator script. That's impressive. Um, Not many people can get the exact same judgment twice because uh, Cameron's such a dick. Even after he loses the lawsuit, he doesn't put the credit on the film. Um, So, yeah, those were amazing things. I'm going to give Harlan Ellison my vote because that's life goals right there. So I had never heard of Harlan Ellison before. Apparently, he was a hitman. He was a very uh, hey. I still get to talk here. Did he actually kill somebody? (laughs) Minute here, damn it! Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I if he actually killed somebody, Jay. Maybe (laughs) Jay is a three-one vote. What do you have to say? So, Tim, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Harlan Ellison was a hitman. I had heard that. Okay, okay. I just want to make sure I was on the table. Um, here, here's the here's where I fall on this. Harlan Ellison uh, is a name that I somewhat recently became familiar with. I watched a beautiful, absolutely beautiful video essay uh, on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I believe that it was Morty Zander, but I could be wrong on that. Um, put out this fantastic piece about the. Uh, the PC game adaptation of I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream. I have not read it, but everything that video essay 
brought me to makes me desperately want to read it because I think it might be one of the most lovely pieces of of horror sci-fi that is out there. Um, he also uh, famous for Repent Harlequin said the TikTok man, uh, which is something that's flown around in the zeitgeist that I'm familiar with. Um, Suzanne Collins it strikes me as as one of those authors that, you know, kind of caught, if not kind of originated a small wave of YA dystopian fiction in the 2000s. And, and credit where credit's due uh, for that because, you know, the, the popularity of the Hunger Games kind of led to the popularity of things like The Maze Runner and Divergent and, and things like that. Um, I'm very fortunate to say that my vote doesn't matter here because it has to go uh, to Andy Weir. <laughs> There's Jeff. Um, no, actually, I, I do. I If it mattered, uh, my vote would still be for Harlan Ellison, but I'm I'm not mad at Suzanne Collins advancing here. And Suzanne Collins does advance into the 16th seed where she gets to turn right around and take on Douglas Adams, for whom the Heart of Gold region is named. And we're starting this one off with Carmella. Oh, part of me wants to give Suzanne a, a fair shot here, but I, I've, I've done Hitchhikers. Uh, I've listened to it as the original radio play i've watched the bbc uh show i've watched the movie <laughs> i've read the book i i have i've read the gamut as far as uh different mediums that douglas anderson has shown up for um i just love him so much again it's one of those things like how much joy does this man bring me and he brings me such joy um i do love the hunger games a lot um, I think it's a great series. Um, it, it's got some weak points, but the world building in it, it was incredible. Um, but I, I got to give it to Douglas, Ander uh, Douglas Anderson, Douglas Adams here. Um, he, he's going to be my pick for this 100%. And Douglas Adams picks up that first vote. Brian, what say you? I think you're muted. Oh, and Brian's been muted. The no. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, this is no contest. Suzanne Collins, you wrote some good books, but you're no hitchhiker's guide. Um, This is so laughably Douglas Adams that it's just not even really worth talking about. Enough said. And that is enough said. For Brian, Stephen, Douglas Adams has a 2-0 lead. Will this be the end for Suzanne Collins? You know, I, I do enjoy the Hunger Games books. They're a fun read. They're they're a pretty quick read because they keep your attention and they keep going. Um, but nothing that happens in those three books will ever haunt me as much as trying to figure out why the bowl of petunias as it fell thought, oh no, not again. Um, that sticks with you in a way that <laughs> proves that Douglas Adams is a fantastic writer. So Douglas Adams gets my vote. <laughs> and Douglas Adams is up three, nothing. Hey Jay, what do you say? So Tim, I don't know if you knew this or not, but Douglas Adams was a hitman. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is possibly libelously false. So, uh, we'll retract that. Um, Suzanne Collins, you had you had your five minutes conversation from us. Uh, you have served your role. Um, Douglas Adams had a way 
in his writing to invent a form of comedic styling in his sentence structure uh, that just sticks with you and sticks with most people like forever. Uh, maybe my favorite written line in all of literature is the ships hung in the sky in much the same way that bricks don't. <laughs> a more lovely sentence may never have been penned. Uh, any, any podcast episode that would vote Suzanne Collins over Douglas Adams uh, is one that should be ashamed of itself, uh, which is why my vote categorically and enthusiastically goes for Douglas Adams here. And let's see. Finally, we have Jeff. Will this be a clean sweep? In the beginning, this podcast was created. This has made a lot of people, more mostly <laughs> me, very angry, and is widely being considered a bad move. Look, there's a reason I am drinking and looking up something called a pan galactic gargle blaster. <laughs> it is because of Douglas Adams who. The parts of my sense of humor that are not from Terry Pratchett are from Douglas Adams. Of course, he's moving on 5-0. This isn't even close. Good job, panelists. Unlike the Margaret Atwood one, you got one right. <laughs> See, now, Jeff, I would make the argument that Douglas Adams walked so Andy Weir could run. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Weir isn't even funny. <laughs> the fuck he isn't. Uh, the Martian is very funny. It's not funny in the way that uh, Hitchhikers is no, funny. Very, it is very different funny. type of comedy, but it is a very comedic writing style nonetheless. And I think we found our new Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, look, Steven, don't, don't you have the jingle all the way thing that you do? Is that is that what that, that is there? I've worked very hard with my therapist about this. to put that behind me. <laughs> And I would thank you for to respect my safe space. Steven's like, don't ever talk to me or my son ever again. Okay, okay, Moneyball. Get off Moneyball my that, plane. Uh, that got the undeserved uh, advance. I don't remember. All don't right. Remember. Let's jump to our eight seed versus our nine seed. I'm very interested to see how this one goes. We have the number eight seed, William Gibson, versus the number nine seed, Rick Riordan. Brian, kick us off. So this is one that I was actually genuinely happy when you announced the order. I counted through and went, oh, I get to talk to this one first. Um, Rick Riordan did the uh, the Percy Jackson books. And I they, they were, for what they were for young adult fiction, fantasy, they were pretty good. Uh, William Gibson, the man who wrote Neuromancer. Um, this is one of the most influential and beloved sci-fi books that I've ever read. Um, Neuromancer was pretty much the defining work of the cyberpunk genre. Um, this it was so fucking good y'all um i i absolutely adore william gibson's writing 
just just leading off with the the sky was the color of a TV turned to uh, turned to snow. That's not that that's not exactly right, but it's it's paraphrasing it. Um, his his writing style was so different, and so what the hell's the word I'm looking for? Um, I I I don't know if I can find the right words to say how much I fucking love William Gibson's writing style. Uh, the story was. Uh, Neuromancer is just one of one of my most favorite works, and I fucking love this thing. So, y'all, uh, William Gibson absolutely deserves to move on, and I hope y'all, if you're if you're influenced at all, if you're not sure, this guy deserves to move on. And yeah, William Gibson definitely. And William Gibson gets that first vote. Steven, what you got? I think I mentioned on the last episode that I'm not a huge fan of cyberpunk. So you might think this one is pretty obvious for me. Um, but the very first R-rated film that I ever saw by myself with like out my parents there making sure it was safe for me was a terrible terrible piece of shit film called Johnny Mnemonic. And because of that, <laughs> William Gibson has always had a special little place in my heart. Uh, I went out, I read the book because, you know, at the time it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen because I was young and stupid. And I don't know why Keanu keeps fooling everyone. He still manages to do that to this day, but he fooled me at that time. And I, I can't in all good conscience vote against it. I'm going to go ahead and vote for William Gibson. Hit me. And William Gibson has that second vote. Jay, is this the end for Rick Riordan? No, it is you. You're, is you it? go after Steven. It's not the end for Rick Riordan um, until I finish talking because I want to express how important to a new generation of readers uh an author like rick riordan is um in in the 21st century i i am uh i'm the parent to a 16 year old uh son who is who is big into fantasy and one of the avenues through which he discovered his love for fantasy is through reading the percy jackson and the olympian series we've taken him to see the admittedly god-awful stage show um <laughs> But I think there is a lot to be said there that hasn't been said yet about impact and, and potential for future legacy. I, I make an admittedly weak argument, but an argument nonetheless that, that Rick is going to be for a generation of kids uh, what Tolkien was for a generation of kids a couple generations ago. Um, now, I'm not trying to say that the two are on the same plane in any form or fashion, uh, but I think that there is a generational voice in him uh, due to his popularity, due to his approach, uh, and due to the, the, the time frame of reader that he kind of intrinsically targets with his young adult uh, style. Uh, on top of that, he's, he's got a lot of other stuff too. The Magnus Chase series. Um, I want to talk about 39 Clues, which I think is a great 
uh, addition to getting kids who are, are, are reading into thinking critically, uh, much the same way that like choose your own adventure or encyclopedia Brown, uh, books were for kids my age. Um, William Gibson, William Gibson, probably on the merits of Neuromancer alone, uh, deserves to advance in this specific bracket, but I have to voice my vote, uh, for Rick Riordan. And Rick Riordan picks up a vote. Jeff, what do you got here? Oh, it is me. Okay, so uh, I guess this is an interesting one for me. I haven't read much of either of these guys, but I th I feel like this is the difference between the guy who basically invented an entire genre versus someone who... I don't know, you know, I've got a 15-year-old uh, kid, and they're, uh, you know, they were super into the Harry Potter genre, which was not written by anyone in particular, and uh, it doesn't have an author. Weird, weird thing about that, that whole series, uh, but they preferred that to the the percy jackson series which they tried to read and didn't get into and now they're into better stuff like her vonnegut and charles Yu and some other things uh but i i take their i'm gonna just kind of take their meh-ness towards percy jackson and the olympians for what it is and trust that so i'm gonna vote for william gibson i guess and William Gibson does get to move on, but we still want to hear Carmela's opinion on the matter. Sure. Um, I mean, Neuromancer is, I mean, it's, it's what people think of when they think of cyberpunk for a reason. Um, I mean, it definitely deserves, Gibson definitely deserves to move forward. Um, I am with Jay in that I've read the crate, the Kane Chronicles. That was my introduction to Rick Riordan. Um, which is like the Egyptian mythology series that he did. Um, yeah, I think it will bring generations of of children into the genre. Um, no one's going to immediately jump into Neuromancer. Like, there's not a chance that that's ever going to happen. However, you can introduce kids into the sci-fi and fantasy genre through something like Rick Riordan, and they will want to go and read all of the mythology things that they can get their little hands on. Um, and I think that has merit all on its own. If you are encouraging kids to explore genres and then explore afterwards, I think that is of note and should be lauded. Um, and I am going to vote for Rick Riordan here. And in a 3-2 match fitting of an 8-9 to nine matchup, William Gibson knocks off Rick Riordan. We are going to our 5 to 12, our 5 12 matchup of H.G. Wells, the five, or sorry, yeah, H.G. Wells, the five seed against Stanislaus Lem. Stanislaw Lem. Steven, kick us off. Um, one of these people literally invented the genre of science fiction. So. Unless, like, for some reason they were a 15th seed or something going up against the two, I don't know 
how we're not going to pass H.G. Wells on to the next round. I mean, literally, the man invented science fiction. I mean, Jules Verne was there. Mary Shelley definitely contributed to it. But as a genre, science fiction doesn't exist without Wells. He gets the vote. And get the vote he does. Jay... Now, I do want to point out that that Lem does get a bit of a bad rap in this matchup. Uh, being an author who does not work primarily in English, uh, it's it's really hard to get your voice through in translation to a broader audience. Uh, and and with a style uh, like Lem has, it's it's a disadvantage uh, for us being an English language podcast to try to to make criticism uh, of his work without being able to read it from its original source. Um, all that said, H.G. Wells, I, do I have to list them or can I rely downstream uh, to list all the just seminal works of science fiction that H.G. Wells has brought to the table? Um, I don't know any other author that I can think of who, while admittedly uh, largely fabricated, is famously associated with a source material that led to a mass panic uh, because of its believability. Um we will certainly talk more about H.G. Wells uh, when there is a matchup that we need to go into more uh, nuance for. But in this case, I think uh, Lem suffers doubly in this case. One, not being a native English speaking author and two, having to go up against um, somebody who is literally called the father of science fiction. Uh, I would argue with my previous uh, panelists that, you know, I don't think he invented the genre. I still really want to give that mantle to Mary Shelley, um, but he's certainly synonymous with the broad popularization of originating the concept. So credit where credit is 100% due. Uh, H.G. Wells gets my vote enthusiastically. And H.G. Wells with his second vote. Jeff, go ahead and cast yours. Yeah, I understand Slothlem's short stories are fun and interesting and kind of sarcastic in a way and a uh, little bit tongue-in-cheek and a little bit fun but yeah i mean come on hg wells is so foundational to this entire bracket that you can't give him at least one round you gotta give him you gotta give him one give move him on and moving on, we will. But Carmela, we still value your opinion here, Boozy Bracketology. <laughs> uh, so I really only know Stanislaw Lem by reputation, and it wasn't a particularly great one. Um, not his writing. His writing was was not what he got a bad reputation for. He was just apparently just a a misanthrope kind of individual, um, and he probably had good reason for it. But like, he completely like ripped on sci-fi as a genre like he's like the only for everyone except for philip k dick he he had a negative opinion about um but you're also up against hg wells who i would say definitely shaped the genre did not invent the genre so i'm with jay in that uh definitely want to give that to mary shelley because that that would be a more accurate statement um but i've read the time machine so many times i've read War of the Worlds, um, H.G. Wells, I think definitely deserves to move into the second round. Um, so that's where my vote is going to go. And Brian, wrap it up for us. Okay. So Stanislaw Lem 
Uh, the guy did some good stuff. He did The Man from Mars. Uh, he did Solaris, which ended up being a George Clooney movie, which, from what I heard, was pretty good. I haven't seen it, but whatever. Um, but he is going up against H.G. fucking Wells. And H.G. Wells, I mean, this is the man who gave us the time machine. He gave us War of the Worlds. Island of Dr. Moreau and the Invisible Man. I mean, this is this is one of the absolute pillars of the science fiction genre. Uh, and Stanislaw Lem was like, yeah, fuck everybody who isn't Philip K. Dick. Philip K. Dick, you're cool. Airbail sucks. So this is this is an, a very, very easy pick. This is going to go H.G. Wells for me. Oh, no. Oh, Tim got muted. And H.G. Wells gets the sweep. We are moving right along to our number four seed, Octavia Butler versus number 13, David Brin. And we kick this one off in Chicago with Jay. Uh, sure we do. I am I'm woefully underqualified to necessarily uh, give a critical opinion on at least one, if not both of these authors. Um, just from quick research going into this episode, uh, David Brin probably arguably best known for the postman uh which if memory serves was like the worst kevin costner movie or am i confusing that with Waterworld? or is it really a one a situation um octavia e butler may be the reason we have an nk jemison uh in in the previous bracket um just an absolute pioneer for for black authors in the sci-fi space uh that contribution in and of itself to me is worthy of advancement in this bracket but then you realize uh she's won a bunch of hugo she's won a bunch of nebulas uh she she won a macarthur fellowship uh sci-fi authors generally don't do that uh she's she's among the the greatest uh not just black authors of the second half of the 20th century, but just authors of the second half of the 20th century. She did so much to help the genre that we kind of malign as being that, that cishet white Western uh, dude energy um, and, and open that up to other voices. I with gusto uh, vote for Octavia Butler to advance. And Octavia Butler picks up the first vote. Jeff, what say you? I mean, the Lilith Brood uh, trilogy is literally sitting on my nightstand waiting for me after I get off of this call. So I think that might be a little bit of a hand tip as to how I'm going to vote here. I might be the one person on the planet that didn't hate the Postman movie. I don't know if that's as much because, oh, hey, Tom Petty's in a movie as it is. It's a good movie, but I think it's it's not horrible. But look, <laughs> Octavia Butler is a legend for a reason, man. Uh, the Earthseed books are a brutal and horrifying look at a near future and yet 
they are suffused with a fascinating hope and almost a prayer that something somehow can change for and evolve for the better and drag us along kicking and screaming into a positive future even if the vast majority of us or at least a somewhat majority of us don't want to take us there i love octavia butler y'all this isn't even close give it to butler and honestly if the other three of you vote for Bryn and somehow fuck this up as <laughs> badly as y'all fucked up the margaret atwood andy weir decision i don't even know y'all i don't even know the important oh, thing right. is you're not bitter <laughs> we don't hold a grudge here at the boozy bracketology uh, what we do do is move on to Carmela for the vote. So my my opening statement was going to be: you don't get N.K. Jemison without Octavia Butler. You just don't. Um, and uh, Wild Seed is still uh, a story that uh, sticks with me and haunts me a bit. I mean, it's it's definitely a, a great look into what it means to have bodily autonomy. Um. I, I gotta go with Octavia Butler here. I mean, uh, <laughs> it might be unfortunate. The only thing I know about David Brand is the postman, uh, but I I don't think he can hold a candle to Octavia Butler. Not for me, at least. Uh, someone else may think differently, but for me, this is going to be Octavia Butler. She deserves to move forward. Well, somebody may think differently, but here at Boozy Bracketology, we think it's Octavia Butler. Brian, did we get it right? I cannot in any good conscience vote for David Brin over Octavia fucking Butler. Um, yeah, the postman, uh, the postman was, was quality stuff. Um, and he has had some success, but I mean, you put anything that he wrote up against um, just blood child, just, just that one. It won the Hugo. It won the Locus. It won the Nebula. It won the Sci-Fi Chronicle Award. I, she's Octavia Butler is a fucking. I, I I hope to get to read more of her stuff down the line. I I need to. Uh, Octavia Butler. This is a very easy pick. And at 4-0, it does seem like it's an easy pick. Is it for you, Steven? Yeah, this is going to be an easy sweep for me. Um, she's just one of those authors. Uh, she does not just what science fiction is meant for, not just what fantasy is meant for, it, what literature is meant for. She writes to inspire. Uh, you know, we mentioned that she writes this hopeful future. Well, it's not a future that just comes about in her books or something that we're plopped into. We're dealing with the characters that help bring about that future and inspire you to do the same thing. And she writes them so well and so compellingly. Um, it's This is an easy vote, Octavia. Hey, trivia lovers. Want to get the pub trivia experience in an interactive way? Check out Liquid Courage Entertainment. 
With a wide range of offerings online, LK has you covered. Streaming a wide variety of trivia games on Twitch with one-of-a-kind formats like Tringo, Guestimate, Mega Sheep, and more. Or check out the World Trivia Federation. With 36 hours to answer each quiz and no obligation, the WTF is the perfect solution to scratch that trivia itch on your own time. Come see us at twitch.tv slash liquid underscore courage or check out patreon.com slash liquid courage to join the WTF for as little as $2 a month. That's liquid courage with a K. Innovative. Interactive. Intoxicating. Sweet for Octavia Butler. We've got our number six seed up next. It's Orson Scott Card against the number 11 seed of Andre Norton. We are starting this one off with Jeff. Yeah, I don't know anything about Andre Norton, honestly. I think I, I just realized that she should probably be on this bracket. Probably the most confusing gender-wise author here uh andre usually a a male name but this is a woman i believe uh or at least someone who identified as one um orson scott card uh who is it that uh was it the roosevelt said about stalin uh yeah he's an asshole but he's our asshole uh orson scott card kind of a dick but he's from north carolina so does that even itself out? I don't know. Uh, maybe I just kind of wish we had less, fewer dicks in North Carolina. Um, I enjoyed Ender's Game. I thought it was interesting and well plotted and well put together. Uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like uh, Orson Scott's just kind of too much of a dick to move forward. So I'm just going to vote for Andre Norton here, even though I don't know that much about her. <laughs> Andre Norton. Uh- Jeff, with the hot take of we need fewer dicks in North Carolina, <laughs> Carmella, how do you vote? Am here? I wrong, Tim? I'm not wrong. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. That's why I called it a hot take. Carmella. So, Andre Norton was born Alice Norton. Um, Andre is a pen name for her. Oh, okay. Uh, so uh, Orson Scott Card, uh, I mean, you have Ender's Game, which is a good story. Uh, Orson Scott Card is a raging homophobe. And uh, and it's still alive, so you can't separate the art from the artist. And because he, the majority, because he's a ma- raging homophobe, I'm not going to vote for him. Um, and I, I do have some Andre Norton on my list to read because uh, I was like, oh, I don't really know much about her. She wrote Stargate. Um, so, you know, hmm. for that alone. <laughs> sure. Um, That's good. Or at least she wrote a book called Stargate. I don't know if it's the same Stargate. I think it is. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to vote for Norton here because uh, fuck homophobes. <laughs> fuck homophobes. Carmela keeping the hot takes. Photo. First, we need fewer dicks. And now, fuck homophobes. Uh, Brian, is this a 3-0? So... Um, various people in this group have had strong opinions about various authors. Um, this is one that is very, very dear to me. Um, Andre Norton. I, I found Andre Norton 
in middle school. I actually know in grade school, there was a, 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 a kid's story called Star Cat. And I brought this home. I, I brought this library book home and my mom swiped it from me and read it. And I couldn't take it back to school because my mom was reading it. <laughs> and I finally got it. She, she finished it and gave it back to me so I could finish it and then get back, get it back to, to the library. Um, mom and I share, have shared a love of Andre Norton's works my entire life since I was before puberty. Uh, this woman has written over 60 novels in the sci-fi genre. Uh, she has been named the Grand Dame of Science Fiction. Um, one of her best-known series was The Witch World. Um, she also wrote a series, the first series based in the D&D world of, of Greyhawk. Uh, she wrote a, uh, two novels, Quag Keep and Return to Quag Keep, that were set in the D&D world of Greyhawk. Um, she is one of my all-time favorite science fiction authors, and I can't express enough how much I fucking love this author, because me and mom have shared this my entire life, and Andre Norton, God, yes, I'm giving her my vote. And just like that, Andre Norton gets the 11-6 upset over Os Ar Orson Scott Card. Steven, did we get this one right? Uh, real glad I don't have to lead this one off. Um, because Orson Scott Card's works mean a great deal to me. I devoured Ender's Game and Speaker for the Dead and even, like, Ender's Shadow as a kid. I went on, I read, like, the Homecoming Saga, too. Like, I, I tracked down every bit of Orson Scott, Scott Card's fiction I could find. Um... And even when I reread them later in life, I find that I still enjoy them. Um, now, of course, when I was very little, I didn't get like all the not so subtle LDS stuff baked into them. That's there, and uh, unfortunately, he's taking the worst parts of the church and putting them into his books. Uh, so I'm glad I'm not the deciding vote because this would be a killer for me uh, since he's going down anyway. And I've already been out as a racist in the last episode. I can safely avoid the homophobe in this episode and vote against him. Unfortunately, I got a pretty good author. I've read the actual Stargate. It is it is the Stargate from the movie, so Andre gets oh, my vote here. Okay, looking at it, it looked like there might be a couple it's, it's of things. It's hardly but, recognizable, but it is uh, technically the same. <laughs> Andre Norton gets the fourth vote as we head to Jay for the final vote here. So, very beautifully, at least for purposes of this matchup, this bracket is about the best uh, sci-fi or fantasy author and not uh, about the best sci-fi or fantasy work. Because if the case were the latter, I think there's a reasonable chance that Ender's Game advances uh, for its legacy, for its cultural impact. Um, thankfully, we get to weigh the merits of the author. And Orson Scott Card uh, can fuck the entire way off uh, for his views on uh, the LGBTQ plus community, uh, views that he still 
actively has and actions. Uh, so yeah, no, Futurama had a really great movie uh, based on Ender's Game, and I'm going to enjoy that because it's enough separated. Uh, and also, it's called Bender's Game: The Right and Only Answer. Uh, but no, we're we're going to uh, stop talking about him and continue to talk more uh, about the greatness that is Andre Norton. So she gets my vote without pause. And Andre Norton gets all five of our panel's votes. We've got three more votes to cast here. So let's go to the number three seed of Ursula K. Le Guin versus the, the, the number 14 seed, Jeff Vandermeer. And kicking this one off, we have Carmela. So <clears throat> I read Annihilation in a weekend because I couldn't put it down. Um, and it is a story that still haunts me uh, a, a bit. Um, however, <laughs> you're up against Ursula K. Le Guin, who wrote Earthsea and wrote The Hainish Cycle. Um, I mean, just for Left Hand of Darkness, which has so much um, in regards to gender. Um, you know, and someone who just wrote so much. Um, I mean... Are, this one is a little bit difficult for me just because of how much Annihilation haunted me, but just for sheer um, impact on the genre itself, um, I've got to go with Ursula K. Le Guin here. So that's my vote. Ursula K. Le Guin picking up that first vote. Brian, what do you got? I can't disagree at all with anything Carmela said. Uh, Annihilation was very good, um, but Ursula K. Le Guin. Uh, I mean, we're talking, uh, yeah, Tales from Earthsea, Left Hand Darkness. I, she's just, she is. Kind of lathe of heaven. <laughs> yeah, she she's she's one of those pillars, and. It's it's not just pillars of the of the sci-fi genre, but from from way back, she's a woman who is a pillar along with Andre Norton that has been doing it since like way, way early before most of us were born. Uh Ursula K. Le Guin the whole way. And that's two votes for Ursula K. Le Guin, Stephen. Yeah, this is another one of those weird seedings because um even at this level, Ursula K. Le Guin is too low. Um, somehow, I, I, Ursula K. Le Guin is, is an amazing Tales from Earthsea. It's, it's the one series that, like, in the post-Lord of the Rings, we're greenlighting every single fantasy work that is possible to get our mitts on. How we did not end up with an Earthsea movie still just amazes me. Uh that proves that somehow her works are still not recognized for as great as they are. And damn it, I'm not going to let that happen on this podcast. Ursula gets the vote. Ursula K. Le Guin, I should say her full name in honor of the Ursi books. And she is not going without her recognition as she moves on to the second round, but we still want to hear Jay's opinion. I, as much of an opinion as I have on this one, admittedly, because uh, going in, I, this is another one of those matchups where I suffer from a woeful lack of firsthand knowledge, uh, particularly in the case of Jeff Vandermeer. I uh, 
I swear I just read his Wikipedia entry and it said that he wrote Shrek, but I think that I misread it because rum and he actually wrote Shriek, um, which goes to show how familiar I have become in 42 years with the work of Jeff Vandermeer. Um, I have recently uh, become a big fan of the college humor slash dropout uh, game show series. Um, actually, um, which haunts my nightmares as a trivia host, let's be honest. Uh, but they really, really like asking questions about Earthsea. And while I have not personally read any of those works, they're convincing me on uh, repetition alone that I desperately need to. Um, it is through that show that I was able to get the the reference from uh, Stephen uh, mentioning the full name. Uh, I get that, even though I haven't read it. So yeah, Ursula K. Le Guin is going to move on, and and so rightly so. I have the the board game version of I'm actually behind me. Oh lord, of <laughs> course you. that's impressive. Uh, in one of the Halloween well, technically episodes, it's a tabletop game, Carmela. Well. <laughs> <laughs> love you um they did in one of the halloween episodes they did screams from different movies and they did the one for the adaptation for annihilation it is the most haunting and disturbing thing i've ever heard in my life but i do recommend the book if you ever had a chance uh like i said i read it in a weekend i couldn't put it down yeah no i'm adding that one to the short list of things that i am rapidly getting educated on by people <laughs> uh who in many ways are smarter than me in certain spaces in this competition well, finally, we want to hear Jeff's opinion on Jeff Vandermeer versus Ursula K. Le Guin. Yeah, I mean, the Southern Reach trilogy is interesting and fascinating and well-crafted. Uh, uh, my wife has also enjoyed the uh, book that Jeff Vandermeer wrote called Born, uh, which is also kind of the mix between botany and sci-fi that Jeff Vandermeer is uh, well known for. But none of that stuff lives rent-free in my head the way The Ones Who Walk Away From Omelas does. Uh, seriously, uh, this is not even close. Y'all all got it right. Unlike with the Margaret Atwood one. Uh... This was the correct decision. Make it unanimous. Ursula K. Le Guin, move her on. And it is unanimous. We have just, we're down to our final two picks. Hey, remind me, Jeff, what did uh, Margaret Atwood do? <laughs> A lot Not of much. things, Jay. And how, how many Martians did read... she write? <laughs> <laughs> How many, How many Matt's Damon have been in feature film adaptations of her Andy work? Weir written? How many incredibly evocative descriptions of amazing, imaginative things has Andy Weir done? Like one or two? <laughs> I counter one, one with shit two. potatoes and rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We're moving on to our 7-10 matchup. The 7-seed Frank Herbert takes on the 10-seed of Larry Niven. Brian gets us started in this matchup. What do you have to say? I don't get to start. I have to start this. <laughs> this is two authors. I, I'm amazed that Frank Herbert is only a 7-seed. Uh, but that said, Larry Niven also 
Um, Larry Niven gave us the Ring World, which, if you don't know Ring World, that is, what if some aliens went ahead and just cleaned out the 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 solar system of all the debris and built a ring around the world that rotates at uh 186 million miles away from the planet and built walls on it so that as it turned it kept the the atmosphere inside and it, it just <sighs> i read ring world and was blown away by the concept just the idea that something like that could exist um this is a fantastic phenomenal series and then he also wrote The Man Kazin Wars, which was a military sci-fi anthology. He wrote at least, uh, there, there were like at least 15 books in that series. Also, just phenomenal stuff. But Larry Niven is going up against Frank fucking Herbert and Dune. And uh, happily, we finally got a good big screen adaptation of, of Dune 1984 version fucking David Lynch um, I know Frank Herbert's Dune is some of the most phenomenal sci-fi ever written um I feel bad for Larry Niven because he deserved better, but he's going up against something that can't be stopped. Um, Larry Niven is getting eaten by sandworms because this is Frank Herbert. No hesitation. And Frank Herbert with that first vote. Stephen, what do you have to say here? So I'm going to go ahead and do what's probably the only vote this way. Uh, I do not like Herbert's writing style. I don't have a problem with the plot of the book. I don't have a problem with the story in general. I don't have a problem with the character's actions. I just find the exact word choices he uses to be grading for some reason, particularly when he does internal dialogue. Uh, I I find it just a little off-putting and weird, and I don't like it. And so when I saw that he was going up against Niven, I thought, fuck, I don't have any clue of anything Niven's written, I'm going to have to vote for Herbert in the first round. So I scrolled through the man's bibliography, and it turns out I did read one thing he had written, and that was his seminal work, Man of Steel, Woman of Tissue, in which he (laughs) described all the problems Superman would have copulating with Lois Lane, which is something that I read in great detail. And I have to say, I got way more enjoyment out of that short essay than I ever got out of reading Dune. So, for his thorough examination of the bullet train speed of Superman semen going into a frail human woman, I have to vote for Larry Niven. I have opinions about what was just said. <laughs> I'm thinking of suing for copyright infringement because shit posting in these was my racket, Stephen. <laughs> I, I, oh what? my god, I'm gonna have to read that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to read it. I have to read it. Oh, so home stretch here, Sam. We can do it. Just, so just to be, you just voted to be for clear. Andy Weir. I have to read it. 
just to be clear, it's not Woman of Tissue. If you're looking it up, it is Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex. Correct. Oh, it's technically Kleenex. oh, oh, oh thank God. God we got the pedantic wow. coin on yeah. that, that one, right? That makes him less of a fucking weirdo. I just want to point people who want to look at it. By less you mean even more. I need to give you the exact intersection of the train wreck. Uh, Larry Niven gets a Uh point. He's got a one-one tie. Jeff, how do you follow that? Or sorry, Jay, how do you follow that? I I fucking don't. Is what happens on that. Um, So, so here's the thing. I I was going to to use this slot to be a little shit posty and talk about uh, which of these two authors had a work that featured the most stings. Herbert would win that slightly. It's not even my favorite sting, but I was still going to give the nod. But then, uh, Brian, my dear sweet friend, uh, you talked to me just enough about Ringworld. Um, something that I was familiar with by name and by uh, popularity, but not in any context as to what's going on in that work. And that's that's a failing on my part because Ringworld sounds like my kind of sci-fi. Uh, Hot take alert incoming. Star Trek is superior to Star Wars uh, because I prefer hard science fiction uh, to more fantastical science fiction. Uh, Dune very much ticks that ladder box. um, And Niven, from what I'm seeing, uh, his work very much ticks that former box. So uh, in as much as I think Roddenberry uh, is superior to Lucas, I'm going to give the vote to Niven here. Now, this is my personal uh, stance on it, and I don't necessarily know that it's the right call, but it's also not my problem anymore. So have fun. JJ, JJ, JJ. Who let you on the show? Brian said you're giving me the finger. It's his fault. You swung my boat. I was literally going to come in and go, well, whoever had the more stings in their movie wins. And then you talked about Ringworld. And I'm like, I could get into that. I could really oh, no, no, get into no, no, that. No, 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 no. I don't care about your Larry Niven versus Frank Herbert bullshit. Star Wars is worse than Star Trek, you <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Like 11 series versus like 11 movies. I mean, fucking midichlorians. I rest my case. And in this essay, I will. No, we don't have time for that. Uh, what we Mistakes do have were for, made. What we do have time for is Jeff to cast his vote. I mean, I kind of feel like the Dune series is. Kind of the Anne Rand of science fiction. It was the series of books that was admired by the most tiresome motherfuckers in college that you knew. And it was, yeah, okay, pretty good. But the 17th time you heard it described in detail, you're just kind of like nodding and smiling along like, oh, okay, cool. Uh... And I want to defend David Lynch for a second. Mulholland Drive was an awesome movie. Uh, I haven't seen his adaptation of Dune. I don't give a shit about that. But give David Lynch some credit, at least. Uh, The Denise Villeneuve. uh, Villeneuve. I don't know. I don't speak Quebecois French. Uh, Adaptation of Dune was pretty fucking cool, too. So... Yeah, mixed feelings about Frank Herbert, to say the least. Ringworld is fun as hell, though. 
and because we're going full chaos here, I might as well just move Larry Niven on because why the fuck not? Sure. Oh, you don't want to punt it to me and make me decide? <laughs> no, no, I don't want to. I don't want to make you decide, Carmela. That 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 leads to bad places. I'm afraid. Oh, Sorry. well, fuck you. I guess <laughs> like the way that that came out. The important uh, thing is Jeff has agency in this one, and he's taking full advantage. Yeah, that's I, I don't right. Blame yeah, him. yeah. I'm uh, and anything that I can uh, pull over on uh, Carmela, Jay, or Brian for reasons that they understand. <laughs> we know. I, what we I'm did. on. I'm on team Niven for this one. You're not pulling one over around me, buddy. I'm not pulling one over on you, but I'll get you later, you motherfucker. <laughs> well, Larry Niven with the upset here. Carmella, how was how was your vote going? Um, I was still kind of waffling, to be honest. Uh, the, the, the Man of Steel woman of Kleenex was actually showing me quite bodily away from Larry Niven because holy fuck. Um, I will say this in this, the Star Wars versus Star Trek debate, uh, the fandom for Star Wars is way worse than the fandom for Star Trek. It makes it very hard yeah, yeah. to love it um, when the fandom is just so fucking bad. Um, but anyway... That's right, Tim, you insufferable fuck. <laughs> no, Tim's not bad. <laughs> Tim knows exactly what I'm talking about, though. Um, we so, we, we affectionately into the Star Wars fandom to understand how bad the Star Wars fandom can be. We, af- we affectionately refer to that particular section as the fandom menace. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, nice. Uh, it, it's bad. Well played. <laughs> I mean, completely like just shove people off of social media is is bad. But anyway, that's we're not here to talk about Star Wars. But I actually am here to talk about Star Wars a little bit. Uh, when talking about Frank Herbert, um, any desert planet that you've seen in a film or in a story in the past fifty or so years has its roots in Arrakis. Um, I mean, just for sheer influence, uh, Frank Herbert at least deserves a nod here. Um, Ringworld definitely is very cool and I would probably <laughs> if I have the two books in front of me I would probably pick Ringworld up but because of the, just the sheer amount of influence that Dune has had on the genre um, I'm going to vote for Herbert not that it matters anyway but I'm going to vote for Herbert here and Herbert does make it at least a game 3-2 against Larry Niven Larry Niven's moving on and as are we to our final pick of the first round and in this round we have the number two seed of robert a heinlein against the number 15 seed john scalzi and to kick this one off we head to steven okay so this one's a little interesting for me if you'll bear with me um one of my weird hobbies is i like to like examine conspiracy theories or at least the communities that follow conspiracy theories and often when you dive deep into them if you trace them back to their origin uh, they tend to come from one of two faces either they come from an early extreme anti-communist thing or they come from a science fiction book that somebody misunderstood and has just been propagated throughout the community that they no longer understand and there is a group of people that, as far as or, I can tell... Or they tell, just come from hatred of the Jews, Well, Stephen. that's what it all... Well, I said that with the extreme right-wing <laughs> things. Um, but John Scalzi, okay. as far as I can tell, there are a large group of people that think his book, Old Man's War, is real. 
like for those of you who don't know, it's there's a part of it. It's like an old man that like gets recruited for space army. And before he joins the space army, they take his consciousness and put it in a cloned younger body of him. And so there are a lot of people in the weird communities that think they've been recruited for the secret space program. That's literally what they call it. They fought in a war and then they get uh, returned into uh, Earth by traveling back in time and being put in a cloned younger body. So I think that's actually where that comes from. Uh, of course, what's really happening is that they had an elaborate dream and really shitty friends who didn't tell them, shut the fuck up, you just had a weird dream. So uh, because of that, there is a very special place in my heart for John's work. Um, that being said, Heinlein is the clear answer here. I mean, the man wrote Starship Troopers. That's, that, that alone should pass him to the next round. So uh, with as much fun as I get out of the fact that there are people that believe, at least on some level, that he's writing fic or nonfiction, uh, I'm going to skip Kelsey and vote for Heinlein. And Heinlein picks up that first vote. Jay, where do you go here? So there are there are a lot of people who are in modern uh, kind of elevated voice nerd circles who are big fans of John Scalzi and and rightly so. Uh, considering his accolades. He's, he's got a Hugo Award for Best Fan Writer. He's got a Hugo Award for Best Related Book. He's got a Hugo Award for Best Novel. Uh, he's won a Locust Award. Uh, Locust Award. He also, uh, this year, won the Robert A. Heinlein Award. <laughs> Something that Robert A. Heinlein never did. And you know why? Because he didn't have to. Because he was Robert A. fucking Heinlein. Um, I was of the age that when Star Trip, uh, Starship Troopers came out, it played a lot to me, uh, like a, a hacky kind of B-movie-esque version of something a la a Star Trek. Uh, and it took probably 20 years for me uh, and watching a very, very informative video essay uh, to realize the, the sole beauty of what Starship Troopers was underneath the surface with this scathing treatise uh, against the concepts of militarism and fascism. Um, and watching that film going back and having the, the, the wherewithal to view it through that lens, it's an absolutely fundamentally different experience and it elevates the work so much. Uh, and that's maybe one of the three best things he's done on paper. Um, yeah. Heinlein, no brainer. A no brainer indeed as Heinlein jumps out to a two nothing lead. Jeff, will this be the end of John Scalzi? Better not be. <laughs> I've tried to read Heinlein on several occasions because I feel like I should. And I could just never get into him. Like, I, I find his prose a little bit tiresome. His writing style just isn't that good. And Jay, I'm a little bit less convinced than you that he is actually writing Starship Troopers and those sorts of stories as satires of fascism and less as somewhat ridiculous descriptions of his own authoritarianism. I've actually enjoyed Scalzi when I've read him. And so I have to go with what, as Carmela has said in previous episodes, has brought me joy. So I'm going to vote for Scalzi here. 
Scalzi not going down without a fight as it, we do bring it over to Carmella. What do we have to say here? Oh, I was going to be mad if, we, if, 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 if Scalzi was out before it got to me. Um, Starship Troopers, the movie, is very fun. The book itself does read like right-wing propaganda, 100%. Um, and uh, I'm kind of with Jeff in that I'm not thoroughly convinced that he didn't lean it more in that way versus uh, doing a send-up of it. Highline is 100% a pillar in the genre, deserves you know accolades and all of that nonsense um john scalzi one is just so fun um even if we're not talking about old man's war which is a great series but like red shirts and uh the android's dream and head on head on is really cool in that it it's also uh it plays with gender a lot the the main character you don't know that character's gender um they did two versions of the audiobook one read by will wheaton one read by amber benson and you fully believe that gender the entire way through um john scalzi is amazing john scalzi does deserve to get out of the first round um if you have not read any of his stuff there it there's a lot of joy in it he takes concepts that have been inside the sci-fi genre for decades and in my opinion makes them better so my vote here is going to be for scalzi and we have a two to two tie in the final matchup of the bracket and as we have mentioned before that does mean we have the ability to use the buzzer beaters jeff is the only one who has already lodged a buzzer beater this is your last chance in the first round and they do refresh in the second round does anybody want to weigh in i here? will <laughs> i go, carmella, go. Go. <laughs> oh, carmella my hand go. was up first man. i saw uh, jay's hand oh come first. on oh, carmella come on. carmella you got you got to be faster on the buzzer beater uh who are we convincing brian yeah uh brian I was wrong uh, about Robert Heinlein. Um, Carmela brought it to my attention, uh, and I think somebody else did as well, that I am conflating the interpretation that the director of the film Star Trip uh, Troopers took with the source material for the intended uh, source materials kind of philosophical bent. Um, I recall now from uh, learning in that video essay that that was the case. Uh, since that was a pretty fundamental pillar of my argument for Heinlein, uh, and because I just love Carmela so much, uh, I would suggest uh, you you undo my damage and strongly consider Scalzi here. Is that okay, Brian? Carmela? Uh, yeah, uh, that, that's perfectly fine. I would also uh, argue that Scalzi's still alive and still putting out work. <laughs> Brian, was that enough to convince you one way or the other? You're muted. Oh, no, he got the mute and button. And with Brian on the mute bug. Oh, God no. damn it. Um, I had a very strong opinion about this particular matchup. Um, so, hmm. Old Man's War and the Kaiju Preservation Society. John Scalzi is a, he is an accomplished sci-fi writer, no question. But I grew up reading Heinlein. Um, growing up, I, I, I had a, a 
box set of Heinlein young adult fiction that was Tunnel in the Sky, Starship, uh, excuse me, not, uh, there was uh, Tunnel in the Sky, the, the Rolling Stones, um, the Star Beast, and what the hell was the other one? Uh, but there was four of them, and they were just rocket ship Galileo. These were just fascinating to me, and it really solidified my love of the sci-fi genre. Starship Troopers, yeah. Uh, the movie and the book are very, very different things. Nobody has mentioned, though... Um, Stranger in a Strange Land, which this was one of the most seminal sci-fi stories to come ever. Um, Valentine Smith and the concept of I Grok You. I I recognized that Heinlein had some issues, but <laughs> um, I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I got Andy I, Weir through. I'm good. Can we team up on Brian? Uh, he's, uh, he's, 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 he went both. Against Atwood and against Scott. Bring it. You and I. Let's go. Uh, Robert Heinlein holds a special place in my heart for his young adult work. And Tunnel in the Sky, I love that book so much. I read that book so fucking much that I kid you not. uh, When I was in high school, I brought that book to school. I, I forgot it laying in study hall. I came back to come get it. Some assholes had found that book, found my name written inside the front cover, and actually tore the fucking book in four pieces and left it laying in four pieces on the fucking table. Hmm. Because it was mine and because it was science fiction and it was not fucking cool. And I fucking love Robert Heinlein. And fuck those fuckers. Robert Heinlein is moving on. And Robert Heinlein is moving on in a three to two scorcher to close out the bracket. Let me let me say this to you, Carmela. I hope in like 30 or 40 years, another podcast brings up this concept and puts this matchup together. And I hope Scalzi's body of work is enough uh, to swing the tide his way. I sincerely do. God, go read the dispatcher. <laughs> like, just, just go read the dispatcher. <laughs> There's a, a legacy what, versus modernity argument like, there, is all I'm I saying. Know, I get it. No, I, I, I totally I, get it. I just, I, Scalzi is just so infinitely readable. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Tim. Like, I, I can't imagine that any of us, like, you know, I, I, I'm sure, like, those of us who are our age have had an experience like Brian's where we've been picked on or just harassed or whatever for being 
fans of this sort of genre and this sort of imaginative work. And it seems like the culture is kind of turning against that idea and, and towards sci-fi and fantasy, the, this sort of idea of more speculative, more thoughtful futurist fiction is less stigmatized than it used to be. Yeah, no, we're definitely approaching the geek shall inherit that, the earth territory. Right. Yeah. I, I hope that Damn straight. continues beyond where it is because I, I think all of us on this panel have been shaped in some way by the reactions of the culture at large against the genre that we're currently discussing here just in general. So, yeah, as much as you know, we take the formative texts of this genre as things that we latched onto while people were making fun of us and people were mocking us, that the progression of this genre into more mainstream literary artistic places is also respected. And I hope that continues, I guess. I, I totally get what you're saying, Jeff. I believe with you, uh, believe everything that you've just put forth wholeheartedly. Um, I'm glad that we have Andy Weir's in the world to guide us into that next <laughs> decade and beyond. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that we had Margaret Atwood's in the world before Andy to create the sort of beauty that those younger authors are able to take advantage of. All right. I'm well, going to be a little bit more... Uh, I'm going to be a little bit less of an asshole about that, maybe, as things go on, but I don't know. Uh... <laughs> Maybe I'm too drunk to be a piece of shit right now. <laughs> All right. And with that, we close the first round of the sci-fi and fantasy author bracket, but we still have a lot more coming before we crown a champion. A quick look at the second round. We got J.R.R. Tolkien versus Edgar Rice Burroughs. Madeline Langle versus Neil Gaiman. Stephanie Meyer versus Philip Pullman. Mary Shelley versus c.s lewis those are the gondor bracket in the gryffindor bracket robert louis stevenson versus shirley jackson george rr R. martin versus lewis carroll Susanna clark versus terry pratchett robin hobb versus stephen king in the foundation bracket isaac asimov will take on kurt vonnegut ray bradbury versus nk jemison michael creighton versus andy weir and arthur c clark versus philip k dick and as we decided tonight in the heart of gold bracket Douglas Adams will take on William Gibson. H.G. Wells will take on Octavia Butler. Andre Norton versus Ursula K. Le Guin. And Larry Niven versus Robert A. Heinlein. How did we do? Tell us on Instagram at Boozy Bracketology on Instagram. Boozy Brackets on Twitter. Check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash P-T-E-B-B. Every dollar you donate goes right back to making this a great podcast. But if you can't, we understand because times are tough right now but you can still share and subscribe to this pod and leave us a five-star review. 
Want to get in on the conversation? Head to ptebb.com slash discord to join our discord channel where we have some fantastic conversation every day. For Bruzy Bracketology, I've been Tim. I've been Jeff. I'm Carmella. I'm Brian. I've been Steven. And I've been Jay. And thank you and have a good night.